The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, I am excited to be here today. You have no idea. Um, if there's one place to be in Fresno, it's this place. I, I, you may not believe this, but being from Las Vegas, a lot of people in Las Vegas um, dream about vacationing in Fresno. And... Uh, no, it's true. I mean, we sit around, we plan it out where we're going to... And this is our number one spot. This is where we want to come. I don't know if that's everybody in Las Vegas, but that's definitely true of me. And the reason we love it is because, like I said, uh, like your pastor said, uh, Josh and I have known each other. Uh, we've been friends since we were 13, 14 years old. So we've known each other for at least four or five years now. And... <laughs> Because we're young, do you get it? Because we're young and it was a joke. Not a good one, but it was a joke. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, we'll be walking through this passage today. Uh, and I, I really am excited about being here uh, to preach this. There's so many things I could say, but for sake of time, I'll probably not say a lot of them. I do pastor in Las Vegas, which is an interesting thing. How many have ever been to Las Vegas? Raise your hand, anybody? A bunch of sinners, look at you. Godless people visiting a sin city. That's where I live. And um, it's different, you know, it is. It's a different place. It's a different place to be a pastor. Interesting fact, interesting fact. Did you know in Las Vegas, when we passed the offering plate, people, um, <clears throat> there were, sometimes when they count it up, the ushers count up the money, there will be poker chips in the offering plate. That's weird, right? Does that ever happen here? Doesn't happen here? How's that our church? Happens a lot, and uh, we'll just take those, take them down, and get them cashed out, and then and we'll be fine. It, it happen, but it happens mostly in the Catholic churches, uh, mostly. Now, if you're Catholic, you may about understand this, but a lot of, in, in the Catholic church, a lot of poker chips come in the offering plates. It's, it's true. And um, so much so that the diocese has actually commissioned an entire group of people who count the chips for the Catholic church. They call them chipmunks. <laughs> true story. It's a true story. That's not true. That's a lie. I can't. It's not true. This is true. We have an Elvis impersonator that goes to our church. That's true. You've, you've met him, right? And uh, it's funny when people are preaching at our church, they'll say, is that an Elvis impersonator? And I'll say, yes. And then they'll say, oh, and that, that's, that's the kind. He's an interesting guy. He comes every, all the time. And um, Sometimes in our church service, whenever I'm preaching, sometimes people will say, amen, you know, if they like the point or they get excited or something, I don't know. And, uh, but he doesn't say amen. Um, when I get preaching, I'm going, I'm ready to preach. And I'm, instead, in the middle of the sermon, I'll, I'll say something strong. And instead of saying amen, he goes, uh-huh. And the whole place, it's very weird. It's not, that's not, that's not true either. It's a lie. I can't stop today. I'm just going to tell jokes today. That's all I'm going to do. My father um, is a pastor, and I'm thankful for that godly heritage. My, my father was given a gift of a brand new Mustang convertible. How strange is that? It, this happened not recently. It happened when I was a college student. And as soon as I heard that he was given a brand new Mustang convertible, I asked, you know, can I drive it? And, and he said, no. And, um, but I, man, I really wanted to drive it. And I was visiting home from, 
at, during Christmas break. It was Thanksgiving, Christmas, something like that. And my father was at work, and he called me and said, could you come pick me up? And I said, sure. I said, what, what, do you want, what car do you want me to bring? He said, bring the Mustang. And I was thrilled. I was very excited. I get to drive the Mustang. So I, so I got inside the, the car, and I put the hood down, you know. And I adjusted the mirrors, and I pulled the seat forward, which is something I always have to do. And, and I got ready. I put my sunglasses on. I felt like Tom Cruise, you know. Every time I put my sunglasses on, I, I don't look like him, but I, I felt like him. And I got ready to go, and I pulled out. Now, I'd never driven a Mustang before, and so I wasn't sure what to expect. And as I pulled out, um, it, kind of, it kind of stalled a little. Now, it wasn't because it was a... Uh, an automatic, or it wasn't because it was a shift stick type of a car. It was, it was the fact that I didn't know how to drive it, I thought. And so I thought, well, this is strange. So I pressed on the gas, and it went forward. But every time I let my foot off the gas, it, it held back. You know? And well, this is strange. I guess this is just the way Mustangs are. And then as I started driving the eight miles to where my dad worked, I, I went a little bit faster, and man, I could really hit it. But every time I came to a stoplight, it was like it would stop very quickly. I thought, this is strange. I don't know what's wrong, but it's like it being held back, you know. Now, don't get ahead of me. Some of you know what the problem is. How many of you know what the problem is? As I'm driving, I thought, well, this must just be how a Mustang drives. And as I was driving, I began to smell something. And I thought, well, this must just be how a Mustang smells. I, I finally pulled up to where my dad was. He was waiting outside. And as I pulled up, I said, hey, you know, I thought it was cool. And he said, what's that smell? I said, well, this is how a Mustang smells. And he said to me, Josh, why is the emergency parking brake on? And I said, because it's supposed to be on, right? He said, No. And he sat beside me and he put down the emergency parking brake. He said, Josh, didn't you feel like you were being just like pulled back every time? I said, yeah, I just thought that's how it worked. He said, no, when you feel that there's something wrong, most of the time there's something wrong. Maybe in your Christian life right now, you might be feeling like something's just not right and you can't put your finger on it. Something's been pulling you back. It's holding you back. And you don't know what it is. My, my father was not angry with me that day, but he was very clear to correct me and say, look, the problem is you have a parking brake on, you can't go forward. Today's message is this. It's simply this. It's allowing some of us in this room to realize what's holding you back. Maybe a lack of generosity in giving. Now, before you turn me off, before you say, I don't want to hear about giving. Okay, let me tell you this. You have a parking brake on and you don't even realize this is what's holding you back in all sorts of ways in your life. In our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, I need to give you a little background. The background is pretty simple. The Christians down in Judea and Jerusalem were going through an incredible time of suffering. Great suffering and persecution because all of the Christians that began to spread around the world had left a small pocket of Christians there in Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, a lot of what they were going through was so difficult that Christians were losing their jobs just for being Christians. Christians were losing their farms just for being Christians. Christians were losing money and being taxed and actually being persecuted just for being Christians. 
And so a lot of the Christians in Judea at this time were actually going through such a difficult time that the Bible tells us Paul, the apostle, went around the entire known Roman Empire at that time and began to raise money in different churches to give to the churches at Jerusalem. You see, the churches in Jerusalem, they were extremely poor. They didn't even have food to eat. They didn't have places in which they could build their churches. They were going through a major problem. So Paul went around raising money for the churches. The problem was there was one church that was not giving like they could. And that church was the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had just as much money, if not more money, than a lot of the other churches. But because they were not where they needed to be spiritually, Paul contacted them and he wrote them and he said, look, you're not giving the way you're supposed to be giving. And you may not realize it, but it's holding you back. And it's holding back the work of God. And Corinthian church, it's holding you back spiritually. Now listen now. I believe that the message God has given me to share with you today is because you personally may not realize that your lack of giving is holding you back. And you as a church may not realize that your lack of giving may be holding you all back. So today I want to talk with you the same way Paul talked to the Corinthian church. When you give, you grow. When you give, it grows. When you give, you grow. And when you give, it grows. What, what do you think the it is that I'm talking about? What do you think it is? I would say the kingdom of God. So Paul wants to express when you give, you grow. When you give, it grows. And today I want to share with you several principles that we find in this passage that help us to understand when you give, you grow. When you give, it grows. The first principle that I want to share is found in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 8. Look at what it says. We see, number one, that a giver can be a person of great joy. A giver becomes a person of great joy. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches in Macedonia. This is what Paul says. Moreover, brethren, that is my family, my brothers and sisters, listen, I want you to know about the grace of God happening in the churches in Macedonia. I want you to know about these other churches and what they're doing. Look, it goes on in verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. How many of you growing up ever had your parents say something like this to you? How many of you ever had your parents say something like this? Why don't you act a little bit more like your older brother or sister? How many of you ever had that happen to you? I have an older brother. That happened to me. I can't stand that. Can I tell you exactly what Paul is doing here? Paul is telling the church at Corinth, let me tell you about another church called Macedonia. And how they are doing better than you. Say, so how in the world would a, the Apostle Paul do that? I don't know. I'm not brave like the Apostle Paul. I would never tell that to a church. But the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Corinth. He's saying, you need to know about the grace that God is bestowing on the churches in Macedonia. How even though in the great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they abounded their, their, riches, of libera their, their riches to liberality. What he's saying, in essence, is this. If you have an excuse of why you can't give, you don't know about the great trials 
that the other churches are going through. The churches in Macedonia were going through great difficulty. But even though they were going through a recession, they still found it in their hearts to give by the grace of God in their life. You see, this is how the gospel influences our giving. The gospel hits every aspect of our life. And one of the aspects that the, li- that the gospel hits in our life is that it approaches us and it makes us desire to give as never before. Look at verse 3, it goes on. It says, for to their power, what did this other church do, Paul? For to their power I bear record, and yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that they would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Paul said, beyond their ability, they gave even when they couldn't give. When my um, wife and I had a privilege of visiting India on a mission, though we pastor in Las Vegas and have been there for 10 years, we've been on several mission trips to help other places and raise funds for these other places. I'll never forget when we were in India, we went outside of a city called Vishakaputnam. Anybody ever heard of the city Vishakaputnam? Not anybody? You say, well, it's some little city in India. Who knows? Did you know four million people live in that little city? Four million. We've never even heard of it. We went outside of Vishakaputnam to a rural area called, um, called Salur. And that is a very, very, like I said, a rural area. A lot of farming goes on. And we visited a few churches in that area. One church that we visited probably was no larger than your platform. And when we, when we sat there in that service, literally the entire village, it seemed, came out. There was probably 150 to 200 people crammed in that, little vill- in that little church. Everybody sitting on the floor, all the children sitting on front, in the front. And in that culture, what they do to show honor to the visiting guests, was very odd for me, is they walked us up in the midst of the auditorium. They sat us right there on the front, right there in the, on the platform, And there my wife sat, myself, another pastor and his wife. And there we sat as all the people looked at us. And then what they were to do is they brought gifts to bring to us to give us a special gift. I got to tell you, if you were visiting that church with me, the last thing you want in the world is for these people to give you a gift. I mean, they have nothing. These people just came from their homes. Their homes don't have concrete floors. Their homes have dirt floors. When it rains, it comes through their roof because it's a thatch roof home. All of them. Not a few of them. All of them. And now here they come, presenting down the middle aisle, a few children with gifts in their hands for us. Though in great trial of affliction and deep poverty... They abounded in the riches of their liberality. We sat there and and suddenly they came. They brought us the gift. It was a little eight ounce bottle of Coca-Cola. I looked at it. On the lid, it was a Sprite lid. I thought, this is weird, (laughs) you know. My wife got one. The missionary whispered over to me. He said, don't drink it now, but as soon as you can, drink it. I'll tell you when. I said, okay. I didn't want to drink it. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know what was really in there. You know, there I am. I'm drinking. All the children are sitting there. They're looking up all excited with joy and excitement and enthusiasm in their eyes. Missionary whispered over right before he said to drink. And he said, Josh, he said, these children, 
will get two of these Coca-Colas once a year at Christmas and maybe at their birthday if their family can afford it. This is a big treat. Well, how many of you are like me? What you want to do is just give that to the children. He said, the worst thing you can do is not drink it and visualize, show your enjoyment of it. Man, I felt like a dog. I felt like in verse 5 what Paul says, and this they did not as we hoped. They gave, not because we hoped them to give, these people that were filled with poverty. I drank that little lukewarm, half-carbonated soda in front of all these children. And you know what the children did? This is what the children did. Why does he get that? Why don't I get that? Hey, why is that for that person? I want... That's not at all what happened. You know what they did? They had joy and enthusiasm. See, you know what I think the rest of the world understands in the church that we as American Christians don't understand? They understand what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know what happens when somebody actually begins to give? Joy comes in their heart. You say, Pastor, I need some joy in my life. Well, maybe the way, what's holding you back from joy is the fact that I'm so sorry to say it, that you're so stingy. That's okay, I'm just preaching here one Sunday. I don't get to come back next week. <laughs> Could it not be? What we see from Paul is Paul said, Corinth, if you were to give like these other churches you might see joy as is expressed in verse 2. Can I give you the second one? Here's the second one, Paul. Here's the second thought Paul gives them. A giver looks like Jesus. A giver looks like Jesus. Look at verses 7 through 9. Therefore, look at verse 9 or verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and in utterance and in knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us also, see that you abound in this grace also. Paul said, look, church at Corinth, I know that was a harsh thing to say, but I know that you're growing. I know that you're abounding in all of these things. As the gospel has taken root in your church, you've grown. You've grown in knowledge and in faith and in utterance and in diligence and in love. You have grown, but you need to grow in this grace also. You need to grow in the grace of giving. Look at the next verse, verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. Okay, this is awesome. I love this verse. He said, I'm not commanding you. I want to repeat that too. This guy, Josh from Las Vegas, I'm not commanding you to give. I could not command you to give just as Paul is not commanding the church at Corinth to give. I'm not speaking by commandment, but by the occasion, occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. He says, I'm giving you an example of how others have given so that you can, watch it now, prove your love. Paul said, you say you love the work of God? Prove it. How does Paul want him to prove it? By giving. You say you love the Lord and the gospel? Great, prove it. Prove the sincerity of your love. You say, how could you say that to us? I'm glad you asked. I'm not saying it. Paul said it to a different church. So I have no responsibility here. Paul told that church, you love God, you love God's work, prove it. And you prove it through your giving. Wow, wow. Look at the next verse, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. 
You know what Jesus did. He sacrificed everything so that we could have. So what we sacrifice everything so others could have. Do you remember the moment Jesus, listen now, the moment Jesus arrived in a barn in Bethlehem, 60 seconds previous, he was in the streets of gold of heaven. He, for our sakes, became poor so that one day you and I could be rich in the presence of God living in heaven. So as we American Christians ought to be allowing ourselves to grow in our poverty so the rest of the world can grow in their knowledge of Jesus and arrive in an eternal palace of all glory and wealth, and that is the eternal palace of heaven. The truth of the matter is, when we give, we begin to look like Jesus. I'm not naturally a giving person. I, have to, I, I really have to admit it. I'm standing up here preaching to you. Give! And the fact is, I'm a very, very naturally stingy person. Um, selfish is what I am. Make me feel better. How many of you can admit sometimes you tend to be like I am? Now, not everybody. Don't, don't lie, because I know some of you are just naturally giving people. How many of you are naturally like I am? A little stingy. How many of you? Am I the only one? Okay, some of you are. Okay, I totally, totally understand where you're coming from. Um, the Lord likes to teach me strange things. It was not too long ago I was preparing a sermon, and instead of staying at my home or at, at my church, my office, I went to the Starbucks because I like... Me, I like busyness. I like things that are going on around me. I, I, I grew up in a family with a lot of children, and I like that environment. So I'll go, and I got my coffee, and people are walking around talking, and I can really work that way. Well, as I'm sitting there, I have my, I, have my, I ordered that day. St- I'm a person of, of specifics. I, I have specific patterns and specific places and specific things I like to do. So I went in, and I was going to order a grande caramel macchiato. But that day I was going to mix it up and I wanted to order a venti. Oh, yeah. For you laymen, a venti is bigger than a grande. I said, okay, today's the day. Today I'm going to order a venti caramel macchiato. So I walked in, I sat there, I, I ordered my venti caramel macchiato and I went down, I went over, I sat down in the same seat I always sit, pulled out the same laptop I always write my sermons on. I sat there and I began to just... And I noticed there was a, a nice-looking lady sitting right over here beside me. And she was, you know, in Starbucks, you just, you're, you're supposed to just mind your own business and do your thing. You don't talk to people you don't know, you know. And at church, I'm the most gregarious person. I like to walk up and say hi to everybody, hug everybody, talk to everybody. But when I'm in the community, I kind of just like to be myself and kind of be left alone. I just me, that's just my personality. So it's odd for me when people just strike up conversations that I don't know. And so she looked over to me and she said, Hello. And I'm preparing my sermon, and I looked over, and I said, uh, hello. About 30 seconds later, she said, what did you order? Uh, uh, caramel macchiato? Venti? You know? No joke, about 10 seconds later, she said, oh, I've never had one of those. Can I taste yours? Um, And because I couldn't think fast enough, I said, sure. And I watched myself. I watched myself. Have you ever had an out-of-body experience? 
I watched myself hand her my coffee. And then I watched her lips touch my cup. And I thought, there goes my coffee. That's my coffee. She drank it and she put it down. She said, oh. And then she, then she started to hand it back to me. And I said to her, oh, no, I, 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 it's yours. <laughs> you know, I, no, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I stood up and I walked over to get another one. I think she realized what she did was... By the way, do you think that's weird or is that just me? How many of you think that's weird? How many of you are like, no, I do that to people all the time. I mean, that's normal. That's, what's wrong with that, Pastor Josh? I don't know what your problem is. So I stood in line to get another one and I was thinking to myself, I remember, thinking, I remember sitting there thinking, no, I'm going to have to buy another one. And then she followed me to the line. And she said to me, she said, oh, I'm sorry, shouldn't I have not done that? Did that bother you? She said that to me. This is a true story. This is true. I know you don't think so because I lied about everything else, but this is true. <laughs> I said, uh, and then, then I lied. I said, I said, no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I just, I'm a germaphobe. <laughs> you say, are you a germaphobe? Not really, but that day I was, you know. <laughs> I worded my thing and I sat down. And that really bothered me the rest of the day. Like genuinely, it really bothered me. I thought, now I had to buy two coffees. That woman had my coffee. She didn't even finish my coffee. I was pretty ticked off. You know why? Because I'm not like Jesus. Jesus is a giver. Jesus, no matter when he was asked, he would give. You know what's the interesting thing about being a Christian? Is that Christians are to be givers. But we're also to be like Jesus. And isn't it interesting, though Jesus would have never got upset when somebody asked him to give, we as his followers often get upset when we're asked to give. I didn't like the way you asked me to give. I think there's a better way to put the way we're supposed to give. I know technically somewhere theoretically Christians should give, but not me, not right now. And instead of being like Jesus, we see in this passage a giver is a person of great joy. A giver will look like Jesus. Number three today, we see a giver is not a talker. Oh, I love this point. It's fascinating. A giver is not a talker. By the way, the opposite is also true. A talker is not a giver. You ever come across somebody that always is talking about how much they give? Mark it down. They don't. Or how much they're going to give one day? Mark it down. They never will. Because true givers don't broadcast it. And those who broadcast it don't ever really give. Look at what it says. You say, I don't know if I believe you. Look at what verses 10 through 12 says. It says, and herein do I give my advice, for this, is the ex- for this is expedient for you. Paul said, I'm not commanding you, but here's some good advice from the Apostle Paul. How many of you think it's a good idea to get good advice from the Apostle Paul? Raise your hand if you think it's a good idea. Okay, so let's see what he says. Here's my advice. This is expedient or good for you who have begun before not only to do, but also forward a year ago. You say, what is he talking about? He's telling him this, about a year ago, you promised to give to this special offering. That's what he's telling the church at Corinth. Just like the churches at Macedonia gave, and just like all these other churches gave, a year ago, your church promised to give, and now I'm calling you on it. Wow. Look at the next verse. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. What Paul is saying is it's not enough to be willing to give. Doing it is enough. 
Say, boy, man, I'll tell you, if I had it, boy, I definitely, I'm willing. Look at what it says. Now perform the, the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to will, that is, it's good that you were willing to give, so let there be a performance also out of that which you have. He's saying willingness is good, but doing it is better. I've met a lot of Christians that are willing to give. Man, I'll tell you, Pastor, I'll tell you, one of these days, man, when my ship comes in, whoo! Well, I'll tell you, man, if I had a better job, I'd be a giver. I'll tell you, that's what I would be. Look at what it says. It goes on. It says, for if there, is, if there first be a willingness in the mind, it is accepted according to that which a man hath and not according to that which he hath not. It's good to have a willingness to give, but you're not responsible. Listen, Christian, this is going to really help some of you. You're not responsible to give what you don't have. You're responsible to give what you do have. This is speaking to the optimist. Some of us are more optimistic. Some of us are more pessimistic. This is speaking to the optimist. The optimist thinks, boy, one of these days, everything's going to turn around. And when it does, man, I'm going to be a giver. And he's saying, look, that's not enough. Do it. You're not responsible for what you don't have. You're responsible for what you do have. I cannot tell you how many times as a pastor over the last 10 years, I've had people sit me down and say, Pastor, I have a few irons in the fire. You know what I'm talking about? I've got a few uh, investments that should be coming due any time now. And when it does, I want you to know this whole building project, not going to be a problem. I'm going to pay for the whole thing. I can't tell you how many times people have told me that. When I first started, I used to think, awesome. I used to pray every day, God, let their big business deal come through. Because when it does, everything's going to be taken care of. And then I learned this passage. Talkers don't give, givers don't talk. When my ship comes in, then I'm going to give to missions. No, you won't. When I get that new job, then I'm going to tithe. No, you won't. Here's why. Because if you don't tithe on $100, you won't tithe on a million. You won't. Do you know why? Because it's still going to be all yours. A giver is not a talker. Paul says, don't just have a willingness, but do it. Number four, number four, a giver will always be able to. Thought number four, a giver will always be able to. Okay, I'm not the one who came up with this. There's an evangelist named Will Rice. He's the first person I heard say this, and it is an amazing thought. Listen to it again. A giver will always be able to. First time he said it, I said, a giver will always be able to what? What do you think a giver will always be able to? What do you think? Yeah. A giver will always be able to give. Somebody says, I can't afford to give. That tells you something about who you are. I just can't afford to give, Pastor. I just can't afford to give. No, no, no. No, because a giver will always be able to. Why? Because as you give, God will bless you with more so that you can give more. Look at what it says. The last passage spoke to the eternal optimist. This passage speaks to the pessimist. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. In the next chapter over, he's still in the same story. We don't have a chance to read all the verses in between, study it out, see if it contradicts anything I say. But look at chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. But this I say... 
He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He's saying this, as you give, if you give a lot, God will bless you a lot. But if you give a little, God will bless you a little. He's speaking to an agricultural society. Just as a farmer might sow a few seeds, he's going to receive a few crops. But a farmer who sows a lot of seeds is going to receive a lot of crops. And so is our giving. A pessimist would say something like this. An optimist says, man, one of these days when my ship comes in, a pessimist says, if I give it, then I won't have it. If I give it, who's going to take care of me? And this passage says, you give it, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. I'm not going to be one of these preachers who says, give $100, you go home in the mail, and you'll find in your mailbox a $1,000 check. I don't believe in that stuff. You know what happens whenever you give $100? You know what happens? You'll have $100 less. That's what will happen. That's what will happen. But I cannot discount what this verse is saying. You try to interpret it another way. You try to see if it says something else. It says, he which soweth sparingly, he's talking about financial giving, will reap also a little bit. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God says you've got to give cheerfully. I remember I was preaching on giving one of the very first years of the church. And I remember there's a man sitting way in the back by the back door. And I remember as he sat there, he had his arms folded like this. And he was doing this. It's funny because sometimes people think the preacher can't tell what's going on in the congregation. And we do. We can see, you know. And he was just doing this. And I remember as I was preaching this passage, I came to this point And I said, look, if you don't want to give, don't. It was for the first time in my life that's really clicked. God doesn't want you to give unless you can do it with a smile. Now, now I want to be as serious as I can about this. You're saying, Pastor, are you telling me that if I don't want to give, I don't have to? Listen, if you don't want to give, not only do you not have to, I'm asking you, please don't give. But wait, 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 wait. But if I don't give, I won't be blessed. Yep. But I want to be blessed. Then give. But I can't do it with a happy spirit. Then don't give. But then I won't be blessed. Yep. (laughs) What God is saying is I'll bless you if you give. But if you don't want blessing and you don't want God and you don't want to be blessed by God, then don't give. It is a free will offering. You say, I don't know what's wrong, Pastor. There's something wrong. It's like my whole spiritual life is being held back. I just don't know what's wrong. All I'm doing is the guy pulling and saying, maybe your emergency brake's been on the entire time. And maybe that's the thing that's holding you back. I'm just saying, maybe that's what it is. Look at what it says. It goes on in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. I love this portion. It says, as you give... God will make all grace abound toward you. Sometimes we think of God's financial blessing whenever we give, but it's not financial. It's not merely financial, I should say. It is so much more than financial. All grace will abound. Look at this verse. It's so cool. All grace will abound towards you 
that ye having always, having all sufficiency in all things, that ye may abound to every good work. What he's saying is financial giving is the key to unleashing the grace of God in your life in all areas. Giving not only allows God to bless you financially, it allows God to bless you relationally. It allows God to bless you parentally. It allows you to God to bless you emotionally. Everywhere in all things. You see the, all the alls in this verse? All grace abound to you, having always all sufficiency in all things that you may abound to every good work. What's the key, Paul? What's holding you back, Corinth, might just be the lack of giving. I don't know this church. Your pastor doesn't share with me the finances of this church. Your pastor didn't even ask me to preach on giving. I was preaching on something else in this last week. On Monday, the Holy Spirit came to me very specifically. And I believe spoke to my heart while I was preparing for this service. I was going to preach a different message. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me about preaching this passage to this church. Why? Because I believe if it's one or two or maybe many, you're being held back in a lot of areas because of a lack of financial giving. I want us to see number five. A giver can create a thankful heart. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, being enriched in everything to the bountifulness. Listen, do you know what happens when you give? Watch what happens when you give. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causes through us Thanksgiving to God. How many of you have children or grandchildren that you think, man, I just wish they were more thankful? It's like, gimme, 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 gimme. I don't know what's wrong with the American culture, right? Okay, God says you can actually increase thanksgiving to God by being a giver. You want your children to act like those little poverty-stricken Indian children? that they're more concerned about what others get than what they give, let them see a grandparent or a parent or an uncle or an aunt who is known to be a giver, who is a joyful person because they're giving, and you will plant the, the seed of thanksgiving, not only in your own heart, but in the heart of others. Look at verse 12. For this administration of giving, this administration of this service, not only supplieth the want of the saints, it doesn't only take care of the churches in Jerusalem and all over the world, but it is abundant also by many thanksgivings to God. It also brings about many thanksgivings all around the world to God. This is what happens. When you give financially, you become a thankful person, but then the people down in the Dominican Republic become thankful as well. And the people in India become thankful as well. And the people in Mexico that you support financially become thankful as well. And all around the world, thanksgiving happens because we that have been blessed are willing to give. You say, boy, the American people need something. The world needs something. You know what the world needs? The world needs a bunch of Christians who are willing to give. Because in doing so, we point people to God. It's not always easy to have a thankful spirit. And that's why God asks us to give, because it helps us. I've taken so much of your time, so let me give you the last point of the message. The last point of the message is a giver unites the church of God. Paul wanted this to be understood. It wasn't just about those poor people in Jerusalem needed a few bucks to get dinner. No, Paul knew that giving would help the Corinthians grow spiritually, But giving would actually help the church of God to grow in unification. 
that local churches around the world need to care about one another and giving is the way in which this is accomplished. So Paul knew if he could get all these Gentile churches to give to the Jerusalem church, the Jerusalem church would stop hating the Gentile churches. Look at what it says in verse 13. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. Now, there's so much here I wish I could say. Let me just stop and say this. Paul said... While you experiment with this giving, can I just stop and say this? Some of you, some of us, I've, done, I've been there. I remember when I learned how to give. It'll be an experiment. You're going to try it for six weeks. You're going to try it for two months. You're going to try it for three months. It's an experiment of giving. Can I say this? Try it. Let's see if God's not true to his word, that you can't outgive God. Let's just try it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it. Those of you who have been giving, you're like, yes, exactly, pastor. I know what you're talking about. You try it. But it goes on. It says, try it. That is, experiment this ministration that glorify God for your professed subjection under the gospel of Christ. This church, if it's known for something, this church is known for being subjected unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if you are subjected to the gospel of Jesus Christ, give. That's what it's saying. For your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men by their prayer for you, which longing after you exceedeth the grace of God. This is what happens as you give. What happens is that your liberal giving unto all these other works, they will begin, do you see what it says? There will, there will be prayer for you. That is, they will connect with you. You will have churches around the world connecting to you and that advances the kingdom of God, not just your little church here. And my little church in Las Vegas. It advances the work of God. And then it says they will long after you. The word long after you means they will follow your example. This is what happens. It's so cool. When you start giving to these other mission works, they in turn learn and they're thankful to God for your giving. Then their pastors are able to say that just like the Fresno church gave and the Las Vegas church gave, now they're able to teach those churches you need to give as well. And we need to send missionaries from the Dominican Republic into Cuba. How are we going to do that, pastor? We're going to give financially and you Fresno's church ambassador Baptist church becomes an example of givers to all those you give to that unifies and advances the kingdom like very few things can and then he ends with this beautiful thought I love the last verse thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift he ends by saying this you want to know the last reason to give you ought to give because he gave You say, what did he give? For God so loved the world that he gave his what? His only begotten son. Now, I would never do this as a pastor, but Paul is so forward. Paul says, are you thankful for the gift that God gave you? You know, salvation, you're not going to die and go to hell. Just like God gave it to you, you should give as well. Jesus is our example. Friend, you may be here today and you don't understand this truth. God so loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anyone, doesn't matter who you are, if you believe on him, he'll save your soul and he'll give you eternal life. The Bible tells us he's able to do this because of Jesus Christ is God. He died upon the cross to pay for your sins and my sins. He was buried and he rose from the grave proving that he's God. And if you by faith call upon Jesus, 
He'll save you today. I hope that you will. I was trying to teach my son about giving. We got three jars. Have you ever seen the three jars? You know, you got the three jars for the children. This was neat for us. Jonathan was only about six or seven at the time. And he had one jar and we put on the, on the label, uh, tithe. And on the other jar we put savings. And on the third jar we put spending. And so we got a bunch of pennies and we began to teach him. We said, okay, here's ten pennies. And one penny goes in savings, and one penny goes in tithing, and eight pennies goes in spending. And then whatever you have in spending, you can spend on anything you want. And what you have in savings, you save that for when you're older. And what you have in tithing, you give to God. So this is just our simple way of teaching our son. So we, we, we got him, you know, it looked like a bunch of pennies, it's probably like two or three bucks worth. And we said, okay, and it also helped with his counting and this kind of thing. And so we said, okay, you stay in here. And so he started one in here and one in here. I, I don't know, I said six. He was probably about eight years old at the time. And he put one in here and one in here and eight in here. One in here, one in here, and eight in here. And uh, as a parent, you know it's fun to parent your children, but sometimes you've got to leave the room because you're going to go insane. So we left. We left in there with a pile of pennies and three jars. Came in about 15 minutes later. Hey, buddy, how you doing? And in his spending jar, it was, it was starting to get a little full. In his saving jar, there was a few pennies. And in the tithing jar, there was twice as much that was in the spending jar. And I sat down. I said, hey, buddy, you're doing it wrong. Let me explain. One in here, one in here, eight in here. That's how you do it. I said, why do you have so much in the, in, in the giving jar, the tithing jar, and not in the spending jar? This is what he said. He said, Dad, I just think that God deserves more than me. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, that's, a, that's kind of messed up, Pastor, that illustration. And the fact is, Pastor, I don't think that that's really nice because... What he has that a lot of us don't have is he could give it all. He could give every penny in the one jar because you're always going to be there to buy his food. You're always going to be there to take care of him. He has a father that's going to take care of him no matter what. So even if he gave everything away, if he gave everything away, you would still be there to take care of him. That's not fair. And our Heavenly Father looks down from above and wonders why we lack in faith. Friend, you have a God who loves you like a child. Your giving is not going to put you in a situation where you can't provide for yourself. It's going to put yourself in a position where God can provide for you better than he's ever provided for you. If you've never begun just to tithe, I think you should start there. And if you're beginning to tithe, go beyond the tithe and give extravagantly toward worldwide evangelism and missions. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I pray, Jesus, that we would give as you gave. 